get the timer going. Right, my name is Sean, as Paul said, and I've been married to Sue, my beautiful wife, for 21 years. And I've got three incredible children. Liam, the hairy one. <laughs> Caitlin, yeah, Liam's finished his first year at varsity, so tough to be through that. Katie, who's just finished grade 10, and, and Chloe, who's right there now, uh, just finished grade 5. And what an absolute honor to have my dad here today. Um, yeah, many of you know my personal story, and it's a real special time to be able to preach in front of my dad and uh, my mom in heaven. Amen. I'm a businessman. I'm <clears throat> still operating in the financial services world. And uh, this is our eighth year in the Cape. Um, I grew up in Joburg, educated there as a chartered accountant. Spent my whole life working there until the age of 42. Um, I was blessed to be able to provide for my family and Sue has done an amazing job raising our children, and lately as they've grown older and she's found time, she's been doing a lot of volunteer work, firstly at the at the bookery, uh, the last couple of years at Calling Education, and it's just also amazing to watch how God is starting to move her and with her call to pastoral counseling. So friends, as we stand here on the 2nd of December, who's feeling rested? Who's like super chilled, can't wait to get stuck in tomorrow, get back to work? No, I don't see any hands. There's one hand. Whew. You're unique. I'm not there, friends. I'm not there. I'm frazzled. I think frazzled is a, probably an appropriate term at the moment. A year that started off with such optimism and, and hope and with such plans that we set in December last year. And many of them have been fulfilled, but many of them have hit a rocky road or gone a little bit off kilter. I would never, ever have thought I would have lost my mom by, the, by this time last year. And although it's been so tough, I've been resting on Jesus this last week. And I know my family have, and they've given us the strength to get through this week as we focus our eyes on Him and as we rest in Him. And I'm going to share some of that during the testimony. In the business world, Cyril was in charge of our country when we started on the 1st of January. Whoa, Cyril. We were so hopeful. We were so optimistic. And by the end of February, we were really thinking this was going to be a crackerjack year. I work in the investment world of asset management and wealth management. And as we stand today, listed property is down 25% for the year. So if you'd invested 100 Rand in listed property stocks on the JSC on January, you'd be sitting with 75 Rand. Good call. No, don't think so. <laughs> Just the, the stock market itself is 13% down, so there's nowhere to hide. And what that has done in, in the world I operate is brought out the true nature of people and money and their relationship with money. Fear and greed is what drives their motives. And to see people so fearful that they've lost a bit of money uh, and so greedy that they want to make more is quite a humbling experience. And perhaps that's why I'm standing at the pulpit today. Also, the corruption that has crept into our society through power. Um, you, every day you open the newspaper, you read a little bit more about how deep those tentacles of corruption have, have spread into our society. We couldn't have imagined how far it's gone. And we sit here with load shedding today, probably as a result of that, with a bankrupt state-owned enterprise called Eskom. They can't even give us power on a Sunday morning 
in the middle of summer <laughs> when demand is low. This is not winter, guys. We're not running heaters and, and, and the like. Come on, Oaks. But we're not alone, friends. You just have to read about what Trump's doing in America and the world, how he's fighting with the Chinese, how Theresa May in the UK has divided her nation with the, with the decision to exit Europe. Just last night, Paris was in turmoil. There, so many of you wouldn't have read the, read the papers yet, but there was flagrant protests throughout the city of Paris last night. Um, the world is really in a bad place. But we were chatting about that a couple of months ago in our Thursday men's group, and one of the young guys, one of the millennials said, it's not in a different place. It's always been like this. Nothing's actually changed. Our perspective is just changing. And I know, friends, as we, as we live through this tumultuous time, we need to stop and rest because there are so many blessings happening everywhere around us every single day in every single hardship. Our life group through this year has been going through hardship in each of our families. There's been hardship. Yet every time when we through that hardship, we're able to sit back and reflect on what God has done and the good things that have flown from those hardships, how we've been brought back onto track, how we've been able to rest in Him through those trials and tribulations, and how we've been able to praise Him at the end of that. But in order to do that, friends, we need to stop. We need to rest. We need to still our minds. Without doing that, we won't spot these amazing blessings that God is sending us. Most of the general chat at this time of the year is about holidays. Where are we going? What beach are we going to pack our camp chair out on and put our feet up and become idle? Um, How long are my teenagers going to sleep in the mornings? Will they be awake for dinner? Sorry, guys. Many of us are going to Romania. Remain here, as the gift man reminds us. What a beautiful holiday destination we have. One of the top holiday destinations in the world, the Cape, which gets invaded by those from our country, Gauteng and Bloemfontein and the like. And we just let, let them not steal our joy. Let them not steal our holiday. Um, as they jam our roads. We welcome you visitors. But we need to stop. We need to rest. We need to reflect. And I'm not talking about only this December, friends. I'm talking about throughout the year. I'm going to be picking up on the theme that uh, Bates started with a couple of weeks back of rest. And I've entitled my sermon, Reclaiming Our Rest. <laughs> Beautiful slide. <laughs> Thanks, Dev. You're the boss. Oh, man. Luckily, we didn't do any elaborate drawings like I did the last time. Friends, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable today, and I'm going to share some personal stories. And I want to make it clear that I, I want to do that with absolute humility. This is not about me. This is about Christ. Um, I have and do suffer from pride and arrogance. And if you sense that there's pride coming through, I want you to squash it. Because as I lay on my face this week, deciding whether I should get vulnerable and should share some of my personal testimony, God reminded me that it's about Him. 
and it's not about me. And that maybe through me and through my journey, there's some of you out there that will be encouraged or given hope or brought back to Christ. And uh, he said, I must share some of this stuff. Just a health warning, I haven't changed my name to protect my identity. (laughs) It's almost nine years since I hit the wall, properly. Busy was something I was proud of. I was the chief executive of a top-rated private bank, and we used to brag every day how busy we were. I used to spend an hour with the new recruits every month, and one of my themes was to tell them that we didn't mind people working 8 to 5 at, at the bank. Just not our bank. <laughs> I didn't have Jesus in my life at that time. And it soon came home to roost. Yes, I was home on weekends. Uh, Sue and I, when we got married, we set this rule that we'd work flat out Monday to Friday. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, we would rest. We wouldn't work. We would connect with our family. But oftentimes we were so exhausted, or I personally was so exhausted from the week, that sometimes those connections weren't great. But many times they were. When we went on holiday... I'd get sick in the first three days. My body would, it would break down from the shock of doing nothing. It was so used to running at a thousand percent that that first couple of days of putting the deck chair on the beach and just reading a novel was too much for it to cope with. I got 28 days leave as a chief executive. Not many of you guys get that leave and the students who are not here, but those that are starting out in work, You'll be lucky if you get 21 days. I got 28 days leave and I took every single one of them. There wasn't a single day's leave that was due to me when I left. You need to take that leave, friends. Don't accumulate it. I took that leave. And we had wonderful, wonderful holidays as a family. I had amazing, an amazing executive PA. She enabled me to operate at a 1,000%, not 100%. She was married to, a chief, to the chief executive of, a, of an engineering company, so she knew what hard work was about. She knew about drivenness. She knew about quality and perfection. And she enabled me to operate way beyond my capability. But then one morning, I hit the wall. The days of me being God and master of my own destiny came to an abrupt end. Sue was in ICU in Cape Town. We were living in Joburg. So she was away. She was recovering from serious abdominal surgery. My three young children had been divided amongst their grandparents and an au pair in Joburg. And I was in London strategizing about the future of asset management for the first RAND group. My CPU, Central Processing Unit for those that don't know, decided it had run too hard. And it shut down. It was at this point of complete vulnerability and wondering if I was ever going to be able to use my brain again that I gave my life to Jesus. As we sung so beautifully, as Grace sung so beautifully. What a beautiful name, Grace, to be singing such a beautiful song. It was about 5 a.m. on the floor of a London hotel. I'd gone to bed early the night before. There wasn't any craziness involved the night before. We were serious business people. We worked flat out. And Sunday was going to be a long day. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, God woke me up 
and he started the most enormous panic attack in my life. So that at the point of five o'clock, I was dysfunctional. And I called out to God and I said, God, Jesus, if you are there, I'm yours. Despite all the rest I'd had, the 28 days, the weekends off, my amazing PA, my system wasn't able to handle this. The world's definition of rest was not sufficient for my system and for what I was throwing at it. To cut a long story short, by the end of 2010, that same year, this happened in late March, by the end of the year I'd resigned from the bank and I decided to step out in faith with other job and bring my family to the Cape. And through trials, through tribulations, through a long, hard road, God has led us to Stellenbosch a few years back. And I now found myself at the pulpit preaching about rest. Friends, if you think God doesn't have a sense of humor, you're seriously, seriously mistaken. And he's given me teenagers to challenge me about that as well. It took this incredibly tough episode in my life to bring me to my knees to realize that I wasn't God and I wasn't master of the universe. And to cry out to Jesus and put my, put my faith in him so that I could start learning about true rest. And I want to share some of that revelation with you today, friends. And hopefully encourage us all. So with this as background... I'm going to take us through three points today. First point, God's example and command to rest. And you're going to have to concentrate today because we don't have slides to, to lean on. So I'm going to speak a little bit slower so we can, uh, can focus. God's example and God's command to rest is my first point. And let's delve into Scripture and see what the Bible says about it. And, we, and I'm going to start in Genesis And I don't think it's a coincidence that we start reading about rest right at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 2, verse 1 to 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There's a repetition there, which I'd highlighted on the screen, of God's resting. God rested was repeated a number of times. In addition, all his work was repeated a number of times. And when we read the Bible, friends, and we see repetition, that's a sign of emphasis. That's a sign that we must stop. We must reflect. We must delve into what those words are meaning. How incredibly humbling to read that God, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful, omnipotent God that knows everything and created everything, decided to rest. Not only did he rest, but he made this day holy. In this context, the word holy means set apart and set aside for religious purposes. A day when we focus on Him. A holy day. So why do we think, friends, that we don't need to rest? Why do we think we can operate at a thousand miles an hour? Why do we think that we are better than God? We aren't. And it will come home to roost, as it did in my life. 
But God used this example of his resting on the seventh day of creation to establish the principle of the Sabbath, the day for his people to rest. The word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word, also meaning to cease from work or rest or focus on him. The command to rest on the Sabbath first appears in the scriptures of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. Moses has recently freed roughly two million of God's chosen people from slavery and captivity in Egypt. As slaves, they would have worked seven days a week, treacherous jobs, trying circumstances. Servant leadership was not yet in the hearts of the Egyptian rulers and masters. Any complaints were met with death, not let's get around the table and strategize and see what's wrong with you, brother. You complained, you died. Their existence would have been treacherous, completely persecuted century after century. And then along comes Moses under God's authority and direction, and he frees them from this persecution. But before Moses freed them, he'd fled Egypt, and he'd spent roughly 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. He was resting. And I'm pretty sure, though it's not really recorded, that he spent a lot of time with God in that wilderness, wondering what to do, what was God's calling on his life. And he, I'm pretty sure, devoted him his, his time endlessly to seeking God. And then God plucked him out of this obscurity, sent him back to Egypt and freed the Israelites. Can you imagine, and I don't think we can, the joy and elation of those Israelites watching the Egyptian pursuers getting swallowed up in the Red Sea, knowing that there was water now between them, that so many of their pursuers and persecutors were no longer. It must have been a joyous day, week, months. But friends, soon this joy turned to grumbling and moaning about this new freedom that they had from from persecution and slavery. These systems couldn't deal with this new reality, this new world that they were living in. So God summoned Moses to the top of Mount Sinai and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And what is the fourth commandment, friends? The fourth commandment is to keep a Sabbath, to rest. God blessed it, he sanctified it, and he made it holy. This same word holy that God had used when he blessed the day that he rested, the seventh day that he rested after creating the world and the universe. We read in Exodus 35, verse 1 to 3, Our Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on, on it shall be put to death. Can you imagine being killed for not resting? I know my teenagers would love that sword to be hanging over my head when I chase them out of bed. I can just imagine them saying, Dad, if you do that again, your head's going to be chopped off. Whatever the people were engaged in, they were to cease not do for an entire day. And they were supposed to focus their attention on God. 
a holy day. Focus their attention on God. To think, reflect, sacrifice and worship their God who had freed them from this treacherous life. A holy day. <clears throat> the word holiday, strangely enough, comes from this combination of holy and day. And originally it, was, it referred to a special day of religious activity. A special day of focusing on God. But the world has taken this day and twisted it into a day of idleness, a day of doing nothing, a day of doing what I want to do, not what God wants me to do. A day away from work and school. So God's example in resting, of resting in Genesis 2 and His commandment to rest in Exodus is clear for all to see. My second point is that of the capture of our Sabbath. Capture is a well understood word in South Africa at the moment and we read about it every single day. But sadly over time, mankind has got in the way of God's intention, His true intention for the Sabbath. The day when we focus on Him, man has captured that intention. With this, starting with the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the time, the Jews were constantly laboring to make themselves acceptable to God. Their labors in, included trying to obey a myriad of do's and don'ts of Jewish law. Through the centuries, these religious leaders devised so many laws that defined what work is and what work isn't. These complex set of laws are contained in the Jewish Talmud, which are the writings and teachers that go to complement the Torah. The freedom of rest was quickly replaced by the fearful rituals of law-keeping in order to be right and pleasing before God. It was impossible to keep all of these laws. So God provided an array, an array of sin offerings and sacrifices so that they could come to Him and seek forgiveness and fellowship with Him. But these were, these were temporary. Many years later, we find proof of this Pharisean capture of the Sabbath in the New Testament writings where we read how Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees for doing or allowing certain behavior on the Sabbath. In Mark 2, verse 23 to 24, we read, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? In Luke 13, 10-17, we read, Now he, he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! 
Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, but loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. Friends, in both instances, the Pharisees had determined, through their own interpretations, not God's instruction, that it was not lawful to make food, to pluck the grain and make it into food to feed their hunger. It was also not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, as both acts were declared work and punishable by death. The laws had stolen the people's freedom from God's original intention for the holy day he had created. And Jesus rebuked them sternly. This behavior in making rules and regulations of the Pharisees of the time is no different to the world we live in today. Maybe less so the religious leaders nowadays, but certainly governments and big business have cottoned on to the functioning of the human heart. This functioning has not changed over the centuries. And in particular, big businesses started to manipulate our everyday behavior. Can you think of a few examples? Let me mention one that is capturing our lives, friends. It's, taking the, it's taken South Africa by storm. It's now starting in China, UK, Australia, and the US. It's a very well-known company. It started off as a rewards program linked to a medical aid. Make healthy choices, get free gym membership. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Many years later, it has evolved into a rewards program that is linked to pretty much most of your financial choices. Your investments, your life policy, your short-term insurance, and next year, your banking account behavior. For certain predetermined behaviors and activities, you get the ability to spin a game board on a weekly basis and determine how many reward points you, you will get. And these reward points will determine what you can purchase. Usually food and beverages like smoothies and coffees from some of the food outlets that have partnered with them. It even tracks your driving habits and rewards you with cash back on your fuel spend. As I discovered racing past Paul <laughs> to the finance committee meeting on Monday night. <clears throat> I was speeding. I repent. He wasn't. That's why he's the pastor. <laughs> now, don't get me f- wrong, friends. I'm not knocking. I'm not knocking this company. In fact, I personally own shares in this company, and I believe its true intention is to reward good behaviour. But what's happening, and what I'm concerned about, is how we people are responding to these incentives. Are we unintentionally allowing this to control our behavior choices and responses from starting to take place? I hope that's not Adrian Gore in the line. <laughs> I'm making a cheeky parallel, friends, between the rules that the Pharisees put in place to control the behavior of the people as they sought righteousness before God. In essence, we are seeking rewards for our good choices, which is fine, 
But when it, when it goes beyond this, when we start to sacrifice our leisure time, when it steals our joy, and when we start having arguments about it, it becomes a problem. Let me paint a couple of scenarios and see if any of you have done any of these things. And I think I've done a few of them. Have you, on a Friday evening, looked at your points tally and seen that you're short? And the cycle runs from Friday midnight to Friday midnight. And have you seen that you're just short? And have you decided to strap on your exercise gear and go for a run or a surf or a cycle or just with the sole intention of getting your points target for the week? Anybody? <laughs> have you sat on, a, on your couch and waved your arm? <laughs> With your wife's watch in your other arm. <laughs> to fox this system to think that you are moving and getting your step count to get your points. Have you walked into a gym, swiped your card, skulked around guiltily at the gates, and then snuck out pretending nobody saw you? I think that is theft, friends. You didn't even have the courtesy to go to the bathroom and pretend to use the facilities. And I wonder how those Pharisees would have dealt with that when they unpacked the law of not stealing, or the commandment of not stealing. Has anyone been out exercising and their GPS watch tracker battery fails or packs in? And what have you done when that happened? Did you stop your exercise? Did you quit your 20k run, 5k's in and go home all grumpy? Moaning about battery lives and hoping that Elon Musk will soon solve the problem of the expiring battery. Have you had an argument with your spouse or your child about them not achieving their points for the week? And now, forbid, God forbid, there's a payment that's going to run off your account for that free watch that you got at the beginning of the year. I hear those giggles, friends, and I'm guilty of some of them, but I try every day not to let that distract me. Friends, if we're not careful, we're at serious risk of allowing our rest, our recreation, and our joy to be stolen by a system that is manipulating our behavioral responses to the pursuit of reward. Just as the Israelites allowed the religious leaders of the time to twist God's intention for the Sabbath, as a day of worshipping Him to a fear-driven, law-following ritual, we are at risk of allowing these rewards to steal our rest and to steal our time. These types of reward systems are great and I generally support them and there's unbelievably good things that are happening. As I said earlier, there's good things in all of bad things. There's pastors driving at the speed limits. I'm sure there's less deaths on our roads as a result of better driving. There's people that are healthier, that are living longer, that are claiming less on their medical aids. Friends, there are so many, so many good things emanating from these reward systems. But we need to be careful. Another great example is Christmas. The day that was set aside all those years ago for us as Christians to celebrate the birth of Jesus. A day that we should... Set aside, focus on God, that He would send this Savior, the Messiah, Christ, into our world, into our lives. 
But what has it become, friends? As early as late October, we start seeing the Christmas decorations going up. It's now just a monster shopping spree. In some parts of the world, they've even taken the word Christ out of Christmas, and they've put a big X there. We're allowing ourselves to be captured by the world, and it's not a good thing. So friends, how do we recapture our Sabbath? My third point is Sabbath reclaimed. Recapturing our Sabbath. And thankfully, friends, God sent Jesus to help us save ourselves from ourselves. And in Mark 2, after being questioned by, about his disciples' grain-shedding activities, Jesus responds to the Pharisees as follows. We read in verse 27 to 28 of Mark 2. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Just as God had given those original Israelites the gift of the Sabbath through Moses and the Ten Commandments, He sent His Son Jesus to be Lord of everything in our lives. To be our Sabbath. The person we could set apart, focus on, and seek right standing with God. No longer do we need to strive to meet the laws and man-made rules to achieve our salvation and right standing before God. God sent Jesus so that salvation is secured through faith in Him alone. Nothing we can do other than putting our faith in Him. In doing so, we are released from this law-keeping to properly focus on Him. There are no more distractions to our salvation. What God had put in place for the good of the people through Moses was twisted and contorted over the years by humanity and it lost its true meaning. It became more important to decide whether somebody was working or not working on that particular day than to glorify God. When Jesus healed this disabled woman, we read that she glorified God. This should have been celebrated in that synagogue at the time. This should have been the focus of all the people in the synagogue. Yet the Pharisees rebuked Jesus for healing her. And, he inst- and they instructed the people not to come and seek healing on that day. So when Jesus died for our sins, friend, he, friends, he freed us from laboring in law-keeping. In order to be justified in the sight of God, we merely had to rest in Christ. We merely have to put our faith in Him and rest in Him. Not just one day of the week, but every day. So friends, yes, we do need physical rest. We do need a holiday. We'll break from the stresses and strains of our life. But more importantly, we need to accept this free gift of rest in Christ, our true Sabbath. A rest that provides us with the daily renewal of our minds, hearts and bodies. Jesus is often described as living water or our daily bread. And submitting to his lordship and rule over our lives, we can find this true rest. A daily renewing rest. Bates spoke so beautifully two weeks ago about Jesus' invitation. Let us remind you, in Matthew 11.28, and I'm going to read from the NRV version. 
Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm emphasizing the come to me part. Jesus is our Sabbath. He's calling us to come to him. In, in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. It is only through this yoking to Christ that our lives will be lived in a way that is supported by the rest we find in Jesus. It is only then that we will be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us, as Paul preached last week out of Philippians 4.13. I had a picture when I was preparing of this yoke. And I Bates put a picture up on the screen. And the yoke is not a, this take my yoke, is not a thing that we're taking something away from Jesus. A yoke has got two sections to it. Okay, there's one like that and one like that. And the oxen were harnessed in, in pairs. They were strapped and harnessed in with this heavy wooden structure over their necks. Taking my yoke, taking Jesus' yoke, is not taking something away from him, friends. It's yoking ourselves and putting us in that section next to him. So that we're locked in with him. We've got this locking in with him. He's now locked in with us. And when we're weary and battling and struggling and life is hard, he's carrying us. Because we tied in with, to that yoke. He's carrying us. He's lifting us. He's bringing us along. When we're prideful and arrogant and we're wanting to break away and we want to go on our own, in our own direction and fulfill our own will, we're locked into Jesus and He's keeping us back. He's humbling us. He's reminding us of His love. And He's keeping us close to Him. This yoking to Christ, friends, is an amazing blessing. And we need to see it that we're not taking something away from Jesus, but we're locking ourselves in with a heavy, stern, sturdy yoke. So how do we how do we yoke ourselves to Christ? Well, firstly, we need to accept Him as our Lord and Savior. Without that, we cannot yoke ourselves to Him. And if there's anyone here who hasn't made that decision, who's wondering about this Jesus, friends... Come up afterwards. Paul is here. I'm here. Ollie's here. We can chat to you about that. But once we've accepted him and submitted to him to rule our lives, we need to spend time with him. We need to rest in him daily. Whether that's devotional time, prayer, worship, um, communing with other Christians, sharing our lives, discipling others, serving the congregation, the community. We need to spend our time with Him. That is the fruit of our salvation. I'm not sure about you, friends, but my experience of devotional time is when, no matter what state my mind is, how busy my head is, how weary my body is, when I go into a time of devotion, I always, always, always exit that time rested, fulfilled, energized, in a very, very different place. To where I went in. Our Paul yeah, often refers to um, the situation if somebody's uh, all uh, upset and uh, struggling, he says, start by praying with them. And that just settles everything. And that's true 
Sabbath rest in Christ flowing through into our lives. So friends, as I conclude, it's my experience, and I've learned the hard way, that Christ is our true rest. He restores and sustains. It is available 24-7. Our Sabbaths are not defined by the setting of the sun and the rising of the sun. It is available any time. It is way more than weekends away from work, 28 days of leave, executive PAs that enable us. With this rest in Christ, we are promised that we can do all things that God has planned for our lives. Without this rest, it's going to be difficult. So let us take this upcoming holiday period where we physically and mentally rest from our work, our chores, our studies, our school. Let's put away the phones. Let's put away the computers. Let's return to the sitting room. Let's commune with family. Let's commune with friends. And most importantly, let's spend quality time resting our souls through focused and dedicated time with God. This is a difficult time because our church shuts for four weeks. And we don't have a Sunday to come to church. And Paul has said to us, we need to go elsewhere. We need to seek that time. But we need to seek that time daily and not just on Sundays. So let us turn our holiday into a holy day. And let us reclaim that Sabbath rest as God originally intended. Time to focus and worship and dedicate to Him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You for the example You set for us in creation. I thank You for the command that You gave us through Moses. I thank You for sending Christ Jesus to be our Sabbath, to rescue us from ourselves, Lord. Father, help us over this coming period, this holiday season. Help us stay connected to You. Help us focus more on You. Help us spend more time in You. Father, help us seek Your rest for our souls as we rest our bodies. In your mighty name we pray this. Amen.